0: Welcome to the grazing grass podcast episode 43
1: and during a drought your earth starts to go and so all you need to do is get a five gallon bucket of water and pour it on your ground rods
0: you're listening to the grazing grass podcast helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers and every episode features a grass farmer and their operation i'm your host cal hardage on today's show, we have John Simmons of Easy Yoke Ranch. John and his family have a regenerative cow-calf operation in northeast Texas. We discuss his journey and operation, as well as going on a couple tangents. Before we talk to John, our March giveaway is continuing with another winner today. If you didn't win or haven't participated, there is time. Listen after John's interview for more information. Let's go talk to John. So John, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Can you
1: tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. I started ranching in 2012, full time. I bought, took a big loan out and got a um, 400-acre lease, bought 100 cows. I didn't know the difference between a Holstein and a Hereford at the time. Uh, Yes. But fortunately, my father-in-law kind of held my hand along the way. Um, And he's uh, from New Zealand, and so he is a semi-retired New Zealand dairy farmer who bought land here and now we do beef cattle. And so at the time we conceived our firstborn daughter, Molly, and it was a good time to change. Um, and we got a, a you know a low interest FSA loan to get going. And the lease was right across from my father-in-law's big ranch, and that's where it all began. And it was right before the market went crazy in 2014. So we were able—oh, yes, yeah—we were able to pay off our loan pretty quickly and uh, get some equity in the cows. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So I don't—well, I do own a small farm currently. Um, and we've got about 35 cows there and I work very closely with my father-in-law and, um, I work for him managing all of his cows. So it's, it's about, we run about 300 mama cows, cow, a cow-calf operation.
0: Now tell me a little bit about where you're located. Uh, I know, Uh, sometimes I, it's been a decade since I've done this, but we used to buy bottle calves down in, um, Sulphur
1: Springs. So is that, uh, West of you a little bit? So Hopkins, you, you came to Hopkins County to get bottle calves and you raised bottle calves. You're up in Oklahoma somewhere, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. So Hopkins County used to be the dairy capital of Texas. And so, um, one of the reasons we settled here and one of the greatest benefits is we have sandy soil and 45 inches of annual rainfall. And so the real game is Bermuda grass and rye grass. Um, but the, Oh, that I got ahead of myself. you were asking me about the area. So it's, It's Hopkins County. We're just 10 miles east of Sulphur Springs. An hour hour and a half east of Dallas.
0: And most of those dairies are gone now?
1: Yeah, they've been consolidated and chopped up. You know the story. Daddy had 300 acres, four kids that work in Dallas. They all, you know, they get chopped up into 50-acre tracks and stuff like that. But... Uh, And then, I mean, I'm still surrounded by dairy farms. We have a a 3,000 dairy confinement operation to the east of us. And then we have a, a small holding on mom and pop dairy to the west of us. Um but yeah, so it I mean, it's a great place to dairy farm for that reason, especially if you're grazing, which I guess the trend now is to do the confinement dairy. And so it almost doesn't matter where you live. I, I think there's a lot of dairies in central and west Texas. Oh, yes. Because of pneumonia and the amenities better or whatever. But here, it's really hard to make mud because of the sand. its It's because I've I've. We've had ranching operations and leases in different areas of Northeast Texas, and when you go north of I thirty, it really start. When you get closer up to the Red River, it starts to turn to clay, and if you have too many cows, you know, too much herd impact, you can really pug oh, the yeah. mess out of it. And um, for that reason, this is a great place to dairy farm. And I've always been tempted. Actually, last week I bought my first nurse cow. Oh yes, um, and it's just it's just a backyard nurse cow, and we've I put two little calves on it. So I'm sort of cheat coding it. This might be a rabbit trail, but I could I could rabbit trail all evening, <laughs> or I could stay on tack. So um, we put we put two calves on it so that. I don't have to be tied to the milk cow. And so whenever I want some milk, the night before I'll sort off the two calves and get me a gallon, you know, for the impending end of the world <laughs> with, you know, the way the way current events are going. So anyways, I've I've always I've always loved the idea the idea of dairy farming. And my father-in-law has incredible knowledge of husbandry and pasture management from his intensive rotational grass-based New Zealand dairy farm that he owned and operated. That's translated really well to what we're doing here now. But at the end of the day, I've done my research and I think we export 10% of all the milk we grow here in the United States. And I'm like, why would I get into that business? Right, and and these mega dairies are just more and more milk, and so, anyways, I didn't come on here to talk about dairy.
0: No, I <laughs> I completely agree. I I grew up on a dairy. Oh. I love dairying. Yeah. Uh, my first introduction to rotational grazing is reading in a Stockman Grass Farmer and some books I have about New Zealand grass farm grass dairies. And, and of course, we had a low line double four barn hairy herring barn herringbone barn i wanted to put in like a six or eight swing type which is crazy because my grandpa dairied and he had a uh, swinging four years and years ago and then then we upgraded it when we built our barn we put in a low line uh double four herringbone and then i was my goal was to then go to a six or an eight really uh swing an eight but didn't get there uh feed prices going up milk prices not doing too much and most people going to larger herds more confinement just didn't work now i have to say and and this is continuing on this rabbit hole we'll get back to the other in a minute um up in missouri by springfield there seems to be a rebirth of grass-based dairies up in that area there's quite a few up there, which uh, I went and purchased some bottle calves because I have an affinity for bottle yep. calves and nurse cows. I'd like to get some nurse okay. cows.
1: <laughs> yeah, how yeah, about that? My we actually have a we still have a large family in New Zealand. Uh, my and Melissa and I, my wife Melissa, we traveled there w- February the first year of COVID. What is that? 2020, February, we, we were over in New Zealand for a few weeks in February and COVID was just starting and we were concerned about whether or not we were going to be able to get back or why I was just the, oh yeah. looking at international news. There was like 10 cases in Oregon or whatever, or however it started. Uh, we made it back, but I, I still have, well, my wife still has Two ants that full time graze dairy in New Zealand. We visited both of their farms and it was oh yes, unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Anyway, that's a different podcast, though. I, it, it, I could feel the stuff that I saw over there. So it's, it's pretty interesting.
0: Oh, I want to. New Zealand is on my list of places I'd like to visit. Yeah. Haven't made it there yet, but I plan to. Mm-hmm okay enough about that let's jump back to your journey yes. in 2012 you leased some land and bought some cows and at that point how much you didn't
1: know a Hereford for my hosting no no so I was actually I was teaching art at Appalachian State University and my father-in-law and, and well my wife was managing a uh, it's a, basically the southeast version of Whole Foods. It's a it's a grocery chain called Earth Fair. and so it's and so we were getting into, okay. we were getting into food. That's a little bit more of the story. We were relatively newlywed in two thousand ten or so, and I read the Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Is it Pollan or Pollen? Oh, okay. Um, it's about yep. people, but in that book he features Joel Salatin from Virginia, you know, the regenerative guy in Virginia. And I thought that's kind of what Melissa's dad does. Okay. And so I started to have a conversation with my father-in-law about what he was doing. And I was like, man, that's, that sounds great. Um, And so one thing led to another and we, I just, like I said, we conceived our daughter and um, that was a, it was a time where in our life where it's just a big change. Let's do it. You know, it's, it's an, it's a business opportunity. Uh, Ben was doing a a good job um, on his farm. I could tell, and you know, he's making money and uh, but it really wasn't so much about making money as it was the lifestyle that was appealing to me. So,
0: Oh yeah. And my
1: wife, Grew up on a New Zealand dairy farm, so she's agreeable uh, to all the stuff that I want to do. Yeah.
0: So you you found this lease? How do you find land to lease? Because that's been a discussion different times on the podcast. Finding land to lease is difficult.
1: Well, that there was my father-in-law, so he owned the property there. He bought it years before, an old oh yeah, old man across the road kind of deal. Um, it was very unique and it was a good opportunity. Um, it was right across the lease or right across the property that my father-in-law owned. And so it, it worked out perfect for him because he could use a hand. Right. And then it worked out perfect for me. Oh yeah. I could use a couple hands and, and a lot of good advice, <laughs> you know, to build a, my business, which is, and what it's, turned into now is really I mean our game is it's a low-cost cow-calf operation a grass-based you know we move the cows every day um, we wean the calves at six to eight months old and we actually retain most of the heifers yeah all, all the good heifers will keep and and sometimes we can go different uh, directions with that. So in we bought our cows in t- 2012. We had a year-to-year lease with this old guy, basically across across the road. And so there was a little bit of uncertainty there. And I was learning how to farm, how we farm. And then in 2017, I was looking around. we were, we had can. Had three kids by then. That's when we stopped. So we had three total kids. And we were happy. We were year to year. We paid off our note on our cows in five years, which I'm really proud of. It's like $180,000 with cow money. I never, you know. Oh, yeah. Luckily, luckily or whatever, um, in 2014, you know, we had weaned calves going for eleven hundred and fifty dollars and the the lease price was right. I also did during that five years, I acquired another two hundred and fifty acres that I did custom grazing on that cash flowed really well. So that kept the lights on. Oh yes. The custom grazing kept the kept the lights on and then my cow calf operation paid for itself in about five years so in in 2017 it was kind of a moment where the the market was lulling a little bit and i had a little bit of uncertainty and so i casually started looking for ranch management jobs and i thought to myself i'd love to get paid every month instead of twice a year (laughs) when i sell my calves and so i had a great opportunity to go to central texas and manage a, a large diversified estate type ranch so it was it was a, a yeah. personal estate sort of a high end place i learned a ton working there we had cows goats vineyard pecan orchard tons of construction projects so i i was I, it stretched me in ways i didn't know i could go um that lasted for about two and a half years and meanwhile my father-in-law sold his big ranch where we were farming north of the interstate and oh yes so he he sold his big place and he and he moved south of i-30 here in Hopkins County and bought three other places <laughs> and around yeah, around that time, um, oh yes, I was happy with my job, but it was kind of uh, not like a I just I didn't love the long-term prospect. I thought it was going to be a long-term deal when I went into it, and then I realized, you know, it's a little thankless, and that's the absolute worst thing I could say, because it was a really positive experience. I left on very good terms. But one day, it's two and a half years ago, Ben called me and he said, "Hey, I need help." And so that's how I'm here today. Um, so I'm I'm managing Ben's herds, and we're we're still in development mode. Uh, I think I told you I was on a chainsaw for about six hours today cleaning fence row. So, so we're right now we're understocked yes. with with our total operation. And we're in full development mode while I was at the ranch, uh, managing for two and a half years, whether I like it or not, I got a lot of practice and I got pretty good at developing land, you know? So dozer work, skid steer work. We had a big track hoe, digging ponds, doing that kind of stuff. So the land that Ben bought a few years ago, is pretty rough needs a lot of work. So, but it's amazing what cattle can do um, to land if, 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 you, if, they're, if they're farmed properly. So.
0: You know, it's amazing when we look at what cattle can do to your, mm-hmm. your landscape and stuff using holistic management. You know, there's not always just, well, I move them here at this time and at this time. It's kind of, what's your purpose right there? And, yep. you know, some of those sticker weeds, I want them stomp out. Sure. Absolutely. I don't care if they eat much of it. I want them stomped out. Yeah. But they can, they can do a lot.
1: And what we found like, we had a really wet spring this year. And some of these places got really sticky. And it's because how they, and I'm not saying anything ill about my fellow farmer. I'll never do that. There's, um, one of the rule, and I have to constantly remind myself. One of the rules in a book I just read by Jordan Peterson. Uh, it says, "Make sure your house is in perfect order before you decide to criticize the world." And so, as farmers or ranchers or stewards or what you know, whatever you want to call yourself, a lot of, a lot of the times, at least myself, I'm guilty of this. I'll look over the fence and I'll think, man, they're not doing that right. Or like I'm, de- but the truth is, our houses are not in perfect order. And like you know, we have fences that need to be fixed.
0: <laughs> oh, so. I I completely agree with you, John, on that. Um, man, I look across the fence and sometimes I'm like, <laughs> man, what are they doing there? They've grazed that too short. they and I'm like, you know what? they're doing what works for them and it may not look just like what I'm doing, but I have to let yeah. go of that. I've got plenty on my side to worry about, but I do get that's yeah. kind of hard sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you want, you want to, you want to feel good about what you're doing and you want to, to make it right. And there's this weird psychological thing about farming. And I don't, I might be going off the deep end here, but, it's really intimate and it's really personal all the stuff we do. And there's this, and I think it goes back to our long human connection to land and it's profound and it's, and it's deeper than I can put into words, but there's something about that. You know, it's this thing that you want to, that you have and you think it's yours and you think all the cows are yours and they're going to, what you want them to do. Um, But if we talk about Salatin and some of these thinkers who wrote these books on holistic management and regenerative agriculture, it's really, Salatin talks a lot about building in forgiveness in in our grazing programs. And that's absolutely a perfect way to explain it. Having forgiveness built into the system is what makes it work. Let's jump. Let's talk about.
0: Okay, so you you got your land. Um, did you all start rotational grazing immediately on that four hundred acres in twenty twelve?
1: Yes, there was. You know, so we had a we had a shoestring budget. I mean, we always have a shoestring budget, no matter yes. what. And some of the some of the one wire gates that I've built are just a work of art um, with just junk secondhand repurposed, not meant to do that stuff. (laughs) And so the whole farm, you know, we, we, we target to build the best design and we could talk about pasture design, but the best design that we use is in, in our, in our environment and everything is a 20 acre permanent, one wire pasture that's the ideal size for about a hundred cows. And then we like to pipe a permanent water trough up in the front, sort of the front end of the pasture.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And when I say we move the cows every day, what we're doing is we're, we're doing what we call break feeding or strip grazing. Some people might call it. So what we, depending on the time of year and, you know, what's going on with the cows, if they're lactating or dry or whatever, and how much grass we have. We can really control our, our grass in that way. You know, some, some days that 20 acres will give 100 cows eight days, and sometimes it'll just be one day. The, the original lease that we had, we worked together, and we built one-wire, 14-gauge, Galvanized steel wire with a T post every 25 paces, so every 75 feet, right at belt height for a cow, for a cow's nose. Oh yes, uh, to hold up to hold them in, and so that that was the deal. And we, the water system is always a challenge, especially for folks you know, like that might be listening who are starting out or oh, don't know yes. where to start. But, you know, and so. I've done a little bit of all of it. I, we've, we've had a siphon out of a pond over a berm into a, into a trough. We've done a lot of gravity feed stuff. On our owned land with our permanent uh, systems here in Como, we have really, really good groundwater. So at a little over 150 feet of depth, we can have like human-quality water for the cows um and so it's all pressurized it's a it's a pressurized system and, and we've done we've dug a lot of wells i've i just finished uh what i'm kind of excited about is my little off-grid solar well system
0: i think you have a post on your instagram about it
1: i do i do yeah yeah when i get around to it I, i'd like to post some more stuff and update the website as well but there's like nothing on the website, but um, <laughs> I fill my progress. days with right, 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 right. So,
0: but so, yeah, so for, the, for your land now, you're you're digging these wells to have um, pressurized water everywhere.
1: Yeah, the the wells are all done. So the first, oh, when, you're, okay. when you're setting when you're setting out to develop land anyone who's interested the first thing you need to resolve is water you need to get a plan together you know the first thing you look at your land how it's shaped grazeable acres you know whatever your vision is and so we we go through and we look at each place and and see what it needs and like i said before the ideal pasture for our program is about a 20-acre long rectangle with a permanent concrete water trough up near the front end of it. So you get day one, day two, day three, etc. So the water goes in first, preferably, and the fences will go over the water. And um, but man, we we struck it really good about a year and a half ago. We found the text dot place right. 10 minutes down the road, the text dot had this yard of posts and we got, I don't know how many hundred posts we might've got over a thousand posts.
0: Just come and take
1: them. They were putting, they were putting these like eight inch, eight inch diameter treated wood posts. They're so heavy. That's why I get to go to the chiropractor every month or so from (laughs) schlepping around these posts these text dot posts, but you can see our fence from a mile away. Cause it's the one with the test text dot post. We have a, we have a big uh, post banger, which is really nice. And so, I mean, we fenced up a 300 acre place here and 14 permanent pastures with pressurized water, the text dot posts for the cross fences, one wire, 12 and a half gauge high tensile wire me and a hired hand the two of us in three months and and so your question was are we have been rotational grazing since then yes like I said we're kind of lightly stocked right now um, because we have been growing but we all the all the troughs are in all the pastures are in and now we're just kind of brushing up the edges on the places and clearing some brush and rebuilding some old ratty perimeter fence that that needs attention
0: jumping back just a little bit you talked about it's a long 20 Uh, what you found is a pretty ideal paddock size for your operation and you're putting water Mm -hmm. at one end and you're moving that electric fence down as you go and you're not putting a back fence on it. Right. So just, just so our (laughs) listeners understand you're putting a fence out in a grazing area and then you're giving them another break and they're able to go clear back for the water.
1: Yeah. And the, and the good thing about that is at least where we live, if, if we were possibly, if we were in a different area, I might, be more interested in doing back fences or, or reworking the water a little bit, but we've get 45 inches of rain. And so the dynamic of the herd and the, and, and how it is also part of the reason I'm in this is the lifestyle. And I'm not trying to move cows four or five times a day. There's, <laughs> I, I have no judgment for, Bless, bless their heart! All these people who are moving their cows multiple, multiple times a day—it's—it's it's very possible that that is a good thing. Um, I think it is a good thing. It probably, it, you know, theoretically, it is. But at some point, you have to make a decision about what you want to do and what your fantasy is, what your agriculture fantasy is. And so mine is moving the cows exactly one time a day.
0: You know, I have a a very similar goal of moving one time a day. But um, because I work off the farm and have a day job and it gets dark as I'm barely home, um, my cows are having longer stays in paddocks before I move them on. Um, I think on the weekend I need to put up more paddocks so I can go move them. But I get home and I'm like maybe I'll wave at you today. Uh, I'll go visit tomorrow, but, (laughs) but yeah, you got to find out what works for you and what your parameters are and what you, you desire from Mm -hmm. as well.
1: I've, I've learned a lot about cattle from observing them. And so I do have a a background in (laughs) art and it's a stretch, but some of the a lot of a lot of the things we do as grazers are based on visual clues you know we're looking at we're looking at the grass we're looking at the cows how content they are if they're following you around on the four-wheeler you know um how how filled their gut is you know all these all these things that that you have to look for and if you and, and it takes time and experience to know what to look for, right? And there's going to be some train wrecks because you're going to miss some stuff. And I'd miss stuff too. But, you know, when she's getting ready to have a calf, <laughs> yes. oh, well, it's a heifer. I might need to go check her again. Um, so one of the things, by moving them once a day as a minimum and a maximum, let's say it that way, Oh, we're yeah. still getting to evaluate those cows every single day. And that's most that, you know, it's, it takes 10 minutes to move a hundred cows, but that's the most important 10 minutes. minutes oh, of right. the day Cause yes. I'll know whether I need to do something or whether I need to change my, you know, the last, the last cows, you know, and it's a lot of, a lot of people these days are getting really caught up. I'm a, I'm going to call them the gurus. They're getting caught up in one thing or a handful of things, or we have to move the cows this many times, or we have to have this type of cow. We have to have this species of grass. And a lot of the times when I talk to sort of beginners or, or I've done a little bit of consulting work, everybody wants to know, like, what is it I need to do? What is it I need to change? and I hate using the word, but it's, it's the, it's like a holistic approach. Everything matters. You know, there's no shortcuts and that's why I love it so much is because I just live it and breathe it. And, um, I wouldn't want to do anything else. So moving the cows every day with a strip graze, I, and see, in most, I would, I mean, I'm not sure about your listeners, but most people moving the cows once a day will be an improvement. We could probably agree on that. Yes. Okay. And so you're going to improve so much in what you're doing. I mean, if you're moving them once a month, if you can go to once a week or once a week, all of that's going to improve. And it's not only going to improve your soil or your grass or your cows, it'll, it'll improve all of the above, right? But it's also going to improve your management of your herd because seeing those cows walk, you know, rolling up the click, 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 the polywire and the cows walking behind me. Well, the first 90% of the cows coming through, I don't have to look at them. The sick ones are the ones that are about to calve or whoever is going to be the last one, and then you know, depending on her symptoms or or what's going on with whatever, uh, you can make decisions every day. You know? And so a lot of the times, one of the, one of the things that falls by the wayside when we do uh, continual grazing or more conventional type grazing is it's too late to do anything. Yes, for your grass or your cows at any time during at any time during the year we can drive around on the four-wheeler for 15 minutes and i can say i've got 8 days of grass there i've got 10 days here i've got 20 days there and i can say okay it's july 4th if it if it doesn't rain for 50 days i'll be fine and then on day 51 I'm going to need to do something right.
0: So you saying that, you know, we just, I don't know about North um, East Texas, but it was pretty dry this last fall for us. There's numerous times I went around. I remember going around saying I got six weeks of grazing. And then in six weeks, it felt like there'd been no rain. I'm like, I need more grass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: You're right. It's, it's been pretty dry here too. And, We, these, these farms that we're developing, some of them are better and some of them held on a little bit longer. I think the first, we've got three main herds and 300 cow herds. And one of the farms, we started feeding a little bit of hay around Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. And one of them, I started feeding hay last week. So, and all three of them are 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 eating hay now. That's seventy uh, percent of their diet right now. There's still some yes. picking, but it's right. slim picking. Yeah. Um, and so we we unroll the hay, with a with a hay unroller on the back of the tractor, um, and we sort of simulate the grazing. Every day, and so I really take that the hay unroller as a tool, which I guess is coming later with your famous four <laughs> questions. Already, I'm giving it away. Well, no, I've got a different tool. I've got other okay. tools, but um, yeah, yeah. So, but the hay unroller every day, taking it out and rolling it. I mean, not literally every day in strips like we would. strip grazing but we'll probably we'll probably move the cows back to like four days or so per pasture of the 20 acre pastures and we'll unroll that um the hay it's just sort of moderate quality cow hay and we use that as a passive fertility program oh yes so you know there's an argument to feed more hay in the richer parts of the farm, so you can grow more grass, or you can feed out your hay in the poorer parts of the farm to try to develop it and get some organic matter and all that. So we do a little bit of both. You know, usually the the better ground is drier when we have weather events and stuff like that. Um, but everything's flexible. You know, we we build in flexibility and forgiveness to every aspect of of this of the program. So.
0: Which I think is important. And we're going to jump back just a little bit. You mentioned type of mm-hmm. cow, and the gurus have a type of cow. What kind of type of cow are you using?
1: <laughs> they can only have this color <laughs> hide, right? Or, or their ears can yeah. only be this long. Or if they're this long, <laughs> they don't work. They don't work anywhere. Oh, these cows work everywhere. Right. And right. Yeah. The gurus. All right. Okay. So we're high percentage black Angus and red Angus. And that's, and there's a little bit of Hereford genetics. Um, We use all purebred red Angus bulls. And so, because just because we found they've done a little bit better with the heat than the black hided animals do. But all animals aren't created equal. And so I've got more heat tolerant black cows than red cows. And so the main way to develop cows is, or to, um, to develop your cow, the main way that we develop our cow herd is based on, is she pregnant, right? And so, um, and is she pregnant on time? So that's another thing we could get into. So, but, um, most of our cows are fall calving and I feel pretty, it's a funny, about four years ago, if you had asked me spring calving or fall calving, I saw the world as black and white and spring calving is the only way because you have fresh grass and that argument. Since we've moved south of I-30, see, we drilled um, about 300 acres of ryegrass and crimson clover, and we have this sandy soil, and we've got great with mild winters. And so the only real challenge about fall calving is you're asking that cow to get pregnant in the months of end of December and January and then a few in February. And you have to have their energy high, you have to have their diet correct for a cow to, to breed. I knew a rancher guy that I really respected, He and this is a perfect example of keeping your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. He had this beautiful herd. It was like 200 mama cows of Hereford old nineteen fifty. Excuse me, 1950 model Hereford Trask Bloodline Cowherd. Right up the road from here. We've I've bought a couple of bulls from him. He is a hands off kind of management guy. Like, not like moving the cows one, now two, month later, now one, month later, (laughs) now two. Okay, he's casual. He's a Casual rotational grazing. He's rotational grazing with a little R. So I, I, I love to term casual r.
0: rotational grazing. We, I've got a neighbor that does casual rotational grazing, yeah. and I didn't even realize that's what he was doing until you just said it. That's exactly what he's doing.
1: <laughs> and he swears, and his calving, now the one thing he does manage really well because he does seed stock stuff, is he puts his bulls in for sixty days and he takes them out, which I, I can pick that apart, but we'll do that. We'll do that maybe in a minute. Naturally, his his cows, cal- sixty or seventy percent of them are fall calving, and I think it's because, well, we don't we don't have, that's a rabbit trip. We can I, we don't have to get into that, but. I really like, I really like not breeding cows in June and July and August, and I like having, I like having dry, fat, shaded up cows in the month of August, right? That have a, a, a safe little baby inside of it instead of a baby pulling oh, yes. them down, because, because if they're fat enough, our Falls are so mild and our our winters are so mild. If we're doing a good job with our grass and with our genetics development of, of what we're keeping and what we're calling, she'll maintain her body condition until we turn the bulls out on Christmas. Merry Christmas, boys, right? So we turn the bulls out on Christmas. We still, our cows are still in, they, they have a calf starting on, on October 1st. And we usually have a good amount of of uh, stockpiled Bermuda grass, mostly Bermuda grass, Dallas grass, Bahia grass, a little bit of Johnson grass. You got to be careful with Johnson grass, but um, it's common, sort of common forages. I wish um, we don't really have that many native forages that would that would stand up with the with the ranches we have I, I i do have plans to introduce some especially about around some riparian areas some switchgrass and uh maybe some little little stem or something like that we don't we don't have very many grasses that really hold up after christmas and so we do we do build in the idea of feeding some hay but but, and I'm getting back around the hay. I don't, it's not like I like talking yeah. about hay, but it's, I think it's, we're no, it's, talking it's about your program, what so. we do. So unrolling, unrolling marginal quality cow hay on your farm, it simulates the daily moves and you can also control how much hay is being, it's like a controlled starvation winter program. If we have really good quality genetics, it's amazing what a cow can do. Now I'm none of our cows are skinny, and we, you know, we're doing something really wrong when they oh, get yes. too skinny. Um, and so take that take that with a grain of salt. About you know, especially sort of the beginning type farmers. When I say it's amazing what a cow can put up with through the winter don't go kill your cow. don't starve your cows to yes but but educated you know we know a cow eats a certain percentage of her body weight and she needs a certain amount of protein a certain amount of uh, dry matter but i've always told people it really i mean the main thing the main takeaway i think from from earlier when i was talking about developing and, and what's what's the one good trick i'd rather have really good water than really good grass if i had a choice i'd, I'd rather have and the part of that's because i'm not doing stalkers like our cows can do pretty good on cardboard you know just dry matter you know and their shoot their poops will stack up to the sea yes. right um But they can lose a little bit of condition in the winter. A, a, a slightly skinnier cow, and and I'm t- I'm talking skinny on the level of obese. Our cows are usually obese in July and August when they're oh, dried yeah. off. Yeah. They're they're too fat, and then they'll lo- they'll they might lose a little bit of weight in August and September as the heat starts to work on them. Um. But they're still in. Uh, uh, let's see, a body condition score of five or six by the time we, we turn out the bulls. Oh yes. Um, and so every you know, thinking about all aspects of of everything, all that we haven't even talked about bulls yet. I could I, we could do an hour on bulls because I really like I really like selecting bulls. Um, and you can, you can move your herd in a direction in just a couple of generations with the right bull, especially if you're retaining oh, yes. heifers. So, um, I will add in there, uh, some people might be curious, we've been marketing our steer calves locally through a preconditioned yearling sale. If you don't know what that is, that's um, it's it's a it's a sale called the net bio cell. It's it's bi monthly, and so it's all weaned steer calves with like a respiratory vaccination. They've been weaned 45 days, I think is the rule. Oh no, they just upped it to oh, 60 yeah. days. So the rule is they're 60 days. And so we get a little bit of premium out of those steers, and if you look at if you study the markets a little bit. Um, I think as far as long as I've been doing this, the undervalued cattle are open weaned heifer calves. And so if we took all of our weaned calves into the sale, we'd average $150 less on our heifers. And with the bulls that we're selecting, they're highly maternal bulls. They, they're not big framey charlet bulls that are gonna have you know awful udders and all that kind of stuff but they're very maternal bulls and so our heifer calves are are really good like they're most of the heifer calves are worth being cows oh yes or at least giving them a chance so so we add value to those heifers and we have sold weaned heifers you know for about the same price at of steers, if if we need a little bit of cash flow, or we'll keep them to a yearlin, sell open yearling heifers. You can get a premium there. Then you can sell them as exposed shortbread heifers. We can keep going with this. You can sell them as heavy bred heifers, or you can you can sell them as first calf pairs. So you've got a little bit more time in those animals, but you've added a lot of value to them, and also you can you have flexibility in your marketing plan so we, we can go multiple directions with all the animals. I think, and I agree with, I did, I listened to your last one with uh, the guy from Ohio. Oh, yes. What was his name? Ja- James?
0: Yes. James. I'm trying to think of his last name. Uh, Kof, yeah. uh, Kaufelt. James Kaufelt. Yeah, Ohio landing. James
1: Caulfield. He was. He was great. I totally agree. He said. He said a lot of interesting he did. things. Um, one of one of one of the things that I totally agree with is, if you're not, is, somewhere around four hundred and fifty to five hundred pounds, that steer calf, is not adding not gaining that much value in fact um a neighbor of mine sold a bunch he's real proud of his weaning weights and we were comparing our sales sheet like a good rancher does and his his 600 pound you know they've got a little bit of ear a little bit of brangus cross into them they were they sold for less per head than my little dinky short-legged grass-fed five oh hamsters. yes so, so just you know that's that's a paradigm that we all talk about how bigger is not necessarily better and the, i think the industry is starting to follow that and i, I don't think it's going to correct anytime soon like for example red angus is really hot right oh now.
0: yes they're yeah. doing
1: as good as as the black Angus cattle are here here locally, at least.
0: Uh, and you mentioned the, so. the market's starting to realize it, and they're starting to correct that. They're going to overcorrect, and it's going to go off another way. You know, yeah. just um, I look at, and I'm not in the show cattle business, and um, I see these pictures right. of club calves. And I'm like, oh. I don't want that heifer out in my pasture, but that, that's me. It may, it's going to work for them and what they're doing, but that's me. Mm -hmm. John, we've, we could talk, I think for quite a while and um, listeners would probably get over (laughs) it in a certain point. So it's probably time we go ahead and move to our famous four questions and that'll get us about an an hour episode. And I think that'll be good. Our famous four questions, same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question is what's your favorite grazing grass related book or
1: resource? I've read I read your famous four questions and I've pondered it. Probably anything by Wendell Berry even though it isn't specifically grazing grass all the time. He does talk it's All usually always agrarian themed. Um, One book I just finished was called uh, "Culture and Agriculture." That's pretty interesting. Probably, I mean, did you ask for one or ten? You know what? You share what
0: you think would help someone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Salad Bar Beef by Joel Salatin. That that was that was pretty fundamental and i'll 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 say that with an asterisk an asterisk joel and one thing i think he may fail to convey he's got a lot of experience and he knows what he's doing and he's one of the gurus who is a hard liner you know what i mean and i don't mean that in in the terms of you, a beginner needs to compromise anything that they're doing, but um, in agriculture, in life, but especially in agriculture, it's not always black and white, you know, and like earlier when I said, we're going to starve our cows this winter. Well, me saying that means one thing, right? And and if that doesn't mean go buy five cows and starve them to death, right? <laughs> yes.
0: So. Yeah. The the um, one size doesn't fit all. You you've, you've got to it's got to fit what you're right. doing, and and we touched on some of that earlier. Wendell Berry. Um, I'm not sure I've read any of his books, so um, I'm gonna have to
1: look yeah. him up. Culture and agriculture is a really good one, and then I'm right in the middle of of. A lot of his books are collections of essays. Oh yes, and um, he has some. I think he has a couple of fiction ones. I haven't read all his books, but I'm I'm currently reading *The Gift of Good Land*. Oh okay, and it's great. He's he's poetic. He's poetic. He's uh, he's based out of Kentucky. He's got a famous quote that says, "I'll try not to botch this." do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you.
0: (laughs) Yes. and uh, Yeah, and that that can be related in so many different ways. Moving Mm -hmm. on to our second question, which you kind of alluded to earlier, what tool could you not live without on your farm?
1: My fence tester. So... I I get. I get to the farm, and we have our farms are in different locations. I'll get out, probably not every day because we're kind of humming now. But after a windy, if we have a windy night or a weather night, I can hop out of my truck and test my fence, and I'll know if the world is going to be correct that day or not, or the cows are going to be where I left them. Um. That's probably the tool I use the most, uh, that in my, in the hay unroller in the winter, I think are, are two really, really useful tool tools. But a lot of people say, Oh, my cows don't respect hot wire or, or something like that. And I was like, well, your wire might not be hot then. It sounds like to me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly yeah. honest and a little transparent here for years, we struggled with that. And we're like, and, um, Everything I read, these electric fences work, but man, we could not get them to function as well as I thought they should. And, um, and to be honest, once I did more reading, more research into it, uh, just putting a proper grounding system in place makes a world's a difference. And you get that fence hot, you don't have to worry about where animals are. You don't have to worry about me touching it either. That's the reason I like that fence tester.
1: I've, you know I've, a little tip on the fencing too for everyone out there is and this goes back to moving the cows every day you know visual clues knowing what the weather's doing knowing what the season is doing if we're in an extreme drought i'm usually screw what we call screwing our cows down and so um you know I, when, when the spring is lush and everything, the cow, the 100 cows might get three acres of grass a day. And then in August, if we're in a tight drought and I've got 40 days of grass, they might get, they will get less grass. And so you'll know that that is going to put more pressure on your fences. And during a drought, your earth starts to go... And so, all you need to do is get a five gallon bucket of water and pour it on your ground rods. How about that for a tip? That's, <laughs> a, that's a tip. And your fence will jump up one whole kilovolt.
0: And that's a free bonus for everyone out there listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because, and the cows, the cows usually don't test the fences until they get hungry, you know. And so, in winter, in the oh, winter, yeah. we also, you know open up a little bit on the cows they'll probably get the whole pasture sometimes we'll cut the pasture in half um just depending on what the rye is doing and 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 you know what's going on
0: you talked about uh putting water on your ground rod which will make a tremendous difference when it's dry one thing i like to to do if if i'm putting my electric fence and sometimes i'm moving my energizer I try and put it near a wet spot so that I can put those ground rods there.
1: That's that's another good tip. Yeah, we usually do the ground rods on a drip line of the barn. Oh you know, yes, the, the permanent plug-in energizer plugs in in the barn. I've seen, and it's important to read the instructions when you get your ground system. I've seen ground rods, you know, two feet apart, and they oh they yes. Some space between them. The fence is on the ground.
0: A good grounding system makes a world's of difference. Moving on to our third question: What would you tell someone just getting started?
1: Try to do all the research you can, but don't get too bogged down on what exactly you're going to do, because you don't know what you're going to do, and you don't know how it's going to go. But also don't be fearful of the unknown. So, you know, try to, try to make your decisions. S-s- you know, uh, I shared a studio with a sculptor once, and he was really meticulous, and he had, he had fantastic detail in his sculptures. And he said, and I was like, man, Daniel, do you ever make any mistakes? And he said, yeah, I make mistakes. But when I do... I make them very slowly. And, and (laughs) when you make that mistake, you can change it, you know? And so don't, don't bite bite off more than you can chew.
0: One thing as you, you say that jumps into my head that I just heard other day and I'm trying to think if I heard it on a podcast or where I heard it. And I'm leaning towards the bigger pockets podcast, but I could be wrong on that. But they, they were talking about, as you mentioned Doing something, don't get froze in there, and they likened it to a ship. You know, if a ship is stationary, it's hard to turn. But if that ship is moving and you need to turn because, you know, your target's changed or or it's not working out quite as good, it's easier to turn a mo- moving ship than a stationary ship. Which I thought, oh, that's a really good visual of it. Mm-hmm. And John, lastly, where can others find out more about you?
1: Well, I have a very underdeveloped website, but my contact information (laughs) is on it. It's easyyoke.com. E-Z-Y-O-K-E dot com. If you go to the website, it also has a link to my Instagram that I periodically update.
0: Wonderful, and... You know, on your Instagram, that's where I saw some of your photos of what you're doing and your well you'd put in, uh, Easy Yoke Ranch. But we'll put that, we'll put both links down in our show notes. But yeah, you can get to it all from your website. Very good. John, I've I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, Granted, it needed to be a few hours longer, but uh, I've enjoyed it.
1: A few hours. That's good. Yeah. I also like, I, I really appreciate you having me on. I, um, it, it was great. And I've, I've really enjoyed listening to some of the episodes that you've had. I think I've listened to at least four or five of them. And and it's good. It's all good stuff. I, I love to network and, and talk about ideas and learn about the world. our only world
0: you know i i this i i've mentioned this before i started this for selfish reasons Um, it gives me an avenue to talk to all these other people that uh, i would have had to work or or network better with and and a podcast gives me the avenue to hey i can say hey you want to talk on the podcast they're like okay so So then (laughs) I get these conversations, which are wonderful. Yeah, that's
1: good.
0: I trust you enjoyed our conversation with John. As always, it was great to hear how another grass farmer is operating their farm. Lots of valuable information in our discussion. I really enjoyed his description for an ideal paddock or pasture for his farm. And that's something that's going to be very unique to your farm. But it's always good to hear what works for others. Also, don't forget to water water those. Whoa, let me try that sentence again, if you don't mind. Also, don't forget to water those ground rods when it gets dry. I mentioned earlier in the podcast about a giveaway. It'll only take you a couple minutes to do. Go to Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast and leave a review. The reviews help us get the word out about our podcast. And our growth is just amazing to me. So thank you for telling others about our podcast. After leaving a review, take a screenshot and email it to me at c a l at grazinggrass.com. At the end of the week, we will draw a winner, and they will receive Greg Judy's latest book, How to Think Like a Grazer. If you follow our Instagram page, you may have noticed a sneak peek of our new shirts on our story. I think they've turned out great, and they will be available on the website soon. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers and every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. Hey, I need your help for just a second if you don't mind. Should we change our tagline? Jump over to the Grazing Grass community and let me know your thoughts. You can find the Grazing Grass podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we encourage you to share our posts. Are you a grass farmer? Are you... Interested in sharing about your journey and what you're doing on your farm? Go to our website, grazinggrass.com. Click on the Be Our Guest link. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And Until next time, keep on grazing grass.